am Ashley. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Ashley. Um, welcome to anybody here that's in their first 30 days. Um, Bolden is a special place. Um, this is my home group, and when I first came here, I um, thought everybody could see through my skin. <laughs> and I was just sure that everybody was uh, staring at me and judging me and knew all the awful things that I had done and was still kind of doing. And um, I uh, sat in the back and was, was, was pretty scared, yet, um, yet really intrigued by what you all had to offer. And um, it's said a lot in speaker meetings, but there's a ton of truth to it. And um, that the laughter at the really, really awful stories that people were able to share in these rooms gave me comfort because um, I was just convinced that I was an awful human being. Um, I couldn't stop drinking for my daughter. And to me, that was as low as it got. Uh, I had been conditioned to know like the mother's love is the most important love that there is and I couldn't stop I couldn't put the bottle down for her at all and um, so when I came in here I realized that it was a disease and it wasn't that I was a bad person um, yeah so uh, I do I, I always like to put where I'm out at out there because it kind of helps but I'm extremely sleep deprived right now so um, but I'm grateful to be here and um, through this program, um, I finally became willing to like get into some intensive therapy about some outside issues, and that's going on right now. And there are a lot of deadlines happening. So to me, this was like probably in my mind the worst time to share my story. But it's not about like what I want, right? It's like my sponsor really instilled in me that when uh, the hand of AA reaches out, I say yes. Um, because, not because I want to be a great person, but because I just want to stay sober. So, um, yeah. Um, let's see. Okay, well, I'll get into my childhood. Um, so, I grew up in the 80s in the Montrose in Houston, Texas. Um, uh, my dad was an artist, and my... Um, Mom did odd jobs, waiting tables, she was a secretary, she was the nanny to my friends, uh, my friends, um, yeah, to my friends. Uh, she did whatever she had to do. Uh, we grew up really, really poor, and um, that was uh, hard for me. I, I uh, remember feeling like I never quite fit in because of the financial uh, difference that, that there was between me and my schoolmates. Um, and my dad was an alcoholic. And it was a very, a very abusive trigger warning. There's gonna be a lot of talk about abuse and that kind of stuff. So, uh, but my dad was very abusive, um, very much like Lifetime original movie, like him beating my mom up and my mom trying to grab me and my sister and my brother and flee the house as quickly as she could. Um, earliest memories hiding in closets with my siblings trying to sing songs and you know forget what was going on in the other room um uh I had a deep fear that my dad was going to kill my mother and I got that at an early age um I definitely had some already like obsessive and compulsive thinking stuff so I'd have an idea and then I'd start fixating on it so for a while it was that my dad was going to kill my mom and I lived in that uh 
tear for, for a while. Um, and he did some things that got pretty close. Um, and so, so my mom would leave my dad and, and we'd start over and, and then she would go back to him and it was that way until I was in about fifth grade. Um, and the you know, school attendants knew about it. I was always being pulled to the counselors to talk about what's going on at home. Um, I uh, early on um, developed like obsessive crushes on guys too. And I was always so terrified that like nobody was gonna ever want me or like me because of how screwed up my family life was. Um, and um, even in elementary school, I mean, it was anything I could to escape from the reality of, of my home life. Um, I read a lot. Uh, I read a ton of books. Um, I'd read at recess. I would read um, books were my, my, my kind of ticket out of my, my family life. Um, and I played running away a lot, too. I'd pack up my stuff, and then my brother and I would get out of the house for as long as we could. And uh, It's funny later on because of the, the lifestyle path I later choose. Um, so... Uh, books were, were great, fantasizing about boys, <laughs> and um, I rode my bicycle a lot. Some things, I guess, have not changed that much. Um, <laughs> I, uh, let's see, so, um, oh, also, so I, I, this is important too, I, I grew up, um, I started dancing at a really early age, um, dance was a constant, um, and also with that, some really awful body dysmorphia developed early on. Um, even in elementary school, I mean, I'd put on a leotard and be like, I'm too fat for this leotard at a, at a super young age. Um, that was something else that I, I found that I could obsess over. Anything I could obsess over. Like, and they talk about the spiritual malady of the disease, like alcohol is but a symptom. And I can just pinpoint all these different things that I would grasp onto um, because I was, you know, I whatever the science is behind it, I don't know. We might not really even know, but um, there's a ton of truth to it. I was just grasping at anything to escape my head. Um, so uh, in, in fifth grade, I, I started throwing up to get out of school, and um, I kind of liked the feeling of puking. It, it gave me this release that um, was like kind of painful, but really like exhilarating at the same time. Um, and then also in fifth grade, my mom ended up having an affair with her boss and leaving my dad, which we as kids all celebrated. He obviously had a lot of money, and she was going to get out of that household finally. And um, and I kind of like my mom was, you know, thought she was going to break the family apart. But us kids were like, "Yay, get the f out of there! Like we are sick of living in this." Um, and so uh, we um, and it was like amazing. I mean, this man was like intelligent and didn't lay hands on us, and um, had a ton of money. Like we like. Because, like I said, I grew up poor, like, air conditioner being repossessed, cars being repossessed, you know, like, the const like, that was just what was going on. So, to, like, be able to go shopping and not have my mom's credit card decline was, like, awesome. And, and, and I thought that was, like, I finally made it. Like, we had money. Everything's going to be okay now. 
So my mom ends up having a mental breakdown um, and uh, goes back to my father. So takes us kids, we go back to my dad, and then she disappears for a while. Um, and she ended up getting uh, admitted, and uh, she was suicidal and was diagnosed as being bipolar. <clears throat> and so yet again, I'm, I'm in like sixth grade, uh, super duper like that's some of my depression really like I mean I already always had it but at this point it was um yeah so uh a lot of fear too and a lot of just feeling different and like no one was going to understand what was going on in um in my household so uh let's see here so yeah um and then my mom got out of the hospital and ended up going back to my stepfather. And then we went back to my stepfather's. And I could keep kind of telling this story for a while, but essentially kept up like this until I, 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 I moved out of any of my parents' care when I was about 15 years old. Um, my mom took my brother and I to Kentucky without telling my father. And then she tried to flee from the courts with us. And then we were taken in by CPS in a mental institution for a little bit, my brother and I. I mean, it was kind of just like a shit show, honestly, my childhood. Um, and so that was about, that was what, I moved to Kentucky when I was in eighth grade, and by that time, um, my, like told, told you all about the throwing up, but I was a full-blown bulimic by the time I was in eighth grade. And um, I uh, started dabbling a little bit with drinking. Uh, my friend's older sister let us like raid um, the parents' liquor, whatever. It wasn't even liquor. I mean, straight up, I think it was legitimately smeared off ice that we drank. <laughs> and um, and I, um, right off the bat, it's same. I, there was not enough. I was looking for more. Um, all of the pain of my childhood, all of the like constant just screaming in my head and screaming from the parents finally ceased. Like I'd finally found like the cure to uh, my sadness. So um, I, um, from eighth grade up until about ninth, uh, just started binge drinking. Um, I just party on the weekends. Um, bulimia full, full, uh, full force. Um, I was eventually a uh, lot, a lot of trouble, like sneaking out of the house, having the door taken, taken off of. Sorry, the door taken off of my bedroom hinges. hinges. There we go. <laughs> uh, I'd still find a way out. Um, start stealing my grandma's Virginia Slims and like you know that kind of thing. Uh, somehow ended up like partying with like guys in college although I was in ninth grade and I probably looked like I was in ninth grade but whatever um and uh still keeping up with the bulimia and eventually I was discovered with blood in my throw up and um I was told that I was beginning to get this thing called the Mallory Weiss tear my esophagus um which would eventually lead to me hemorrhaging um if I couldn't stop and I like straight up before alcohol before drugs before all of it like bulimia to me was like something that it started as a release and it ended in something where I legitimately had to do it like anything I put in my body it could be food it could be water it could be drinking I mean it could even be alcohol like the minute it came in I had to get it out and um, I mean it was an addiction like it was a very very powerful addiction um, and so uh, that kind of started my in and out with, with different hospitals. Um, put it in a nutshell, by the time I 
was in ninth grade, I had been, um, I was admitted to two, three, two or three, let's say two different psychiatric units. I went to rehab um, for my eating disorder and I was in an intensive outpatient program. And every time I would get out, I'd be like, okay, that's cool. Like I got that, like the bulimia is under control now. Now I'm gonna start partying, you know, like got that. And, um, or I'd be like, maybe I shouldn't do the drinking thing. So I'll just go shopping with my stepdads, anything it, I could do to like get out of myself. Um, and so this is around the time, like I already said in the beginning that the court thing happened with my mom. And so my brother and I were taken out of my mom's custody and put back in with my dad's. Um, and my dad, like I said, was super abusive. Um, not, not, we did not have a great relationship. Um, I did not want to leave his care. I mean, I didn't want to leave my mom's at all. I was, you know, through the abuse in my childhood, her and I had a very codependent relationship because it was just like her and I, a lot of the times against like the world, it seemed like. So um, let's see here, getting to, wow, I'm really talking a lot about my childhood. Okay, so, um, so then I, I move in with my dad, right? And then I, um, I go into this youth sobriety program for like an aftercare for my treatments that I had been in. And I end up, um, I end up getting sober. And I uh, end up through that program being able to leave my dad's house. And I start living with different families in the program. And um, to kind of like expedite that, I mean, I ended up, uh, I had a, I, I, I had five years of sobriety before I went back out, but I really think it's three years of sobriety and two years of dry time. Um, but in that period, um, that, I mean, that saved my life. And I worked the steps to the best of my ability. I really did not believe I was an alcoholic at all. I was like, I got these outside issues, but I'm not smoking meth like you, I'm not drinking like you. Yeah, I can't stop when I start, but it's not as bad as that person's like addiction. And I held on to that for a while until I eventually at 21, and I was young, I was 15, you know? Like the idea of like getting married and not like being able to drink was something I would kind of obsess over. Like the obsession had not been removed for me really, but every day I would still use the steps and I still prayed when I got triggered and I would do the best of like what I could to stay sober day by day, moment by moment for that period of time. Um, I hadn't taken a full first step, so I didn't really believe I was an alcoholic, but I knew that my life was better without drinking. Um, so I ended up at 21, I, I ended up drinking again um, and I had that five years of sober time that I had, I really had built a life, had begun to build a life for myself. Um, I got accepted to art school. Um, I went to this amazing magnet arts high school where I got to spend four hours a day studying art and um, met some really amazing people and got really, I was really passionate about doing things to help change the world. <laughs> um, and. Uh, and I, and I also at the same time got a really big resentment against AA. I, uh, I think now that I look back, like the anxiety and the depression that I had from my childhood, I never went and sought some help for that. So sitting in these rooms and people just saying, like, just stop thinking about it or, you know, just, you know, just simple stuff that people say that helps them get out of stuff. To me, it was like daggers sometimes because there was just other things that I really needed some help with. 
Um, and today, I'm I like. I've got some help for my depression and my anxiety disorder, and like that was a missing link for me. After a year of sobriety, I got a medication, and then I finally, finally started working with a therapist on some trauma stuff just recently. And like I had to, it took the time. It took time for me to become willing, and I had to have the obsession to drink. The obsession, obsession to drink, had to be removed before. I was even ready to face that stuff, but now like it all comes together. Um, so uh, let's see here. So yeah, I pick up and I start drinking, and I'm like, yeah, that 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 young people's AA stuff. That was a whole bunch of bullshit. And um, within like two months, I'm working as a stripper, and within. Uh, few like a month after that I decided to start riding freight trains because that's what she do right like it's the best way to run away from yourself and everybody else as often as you want and burn bridges and just move on um and so I basically did that um a lot of like hitchhiking and riding trains and just bumming around and sleeping under bridges and flying signs and all of that I did that for a couple years um and a lot of, I went to jail a lot. Uh, I would come back home to my mom's in Kentucky. At this point, we we were, uh, we had begun. We I was not allowed to talk to her for some years because of the state. But by this time, I, I we had a relationship. So I would they were living in Kentucky. I'd go and like, kind of show up at her doorstep broken and you know re, re, like I had a staph infection just sick like whatever it, it, I would just always kind of show up at her doorstep and she would take me in um and uh it was somewhere along this route I met um who the, the man who would end up being the uh, <coughs> the, the, the that was my phone telling me to pause and let my mind be free. It's <laughs> a good reminder right now. Usually it happens not at the right time. Um, yeah, that's a good... So I end up meeting the man who will uh, end up being the father to my child, my beautiful daughter, Maddox. Um, and so... Yeah, I essentially, I just lived to drink. I found a lifestyle, the un, like an underbelly of, I found the underbelly little like subculture that there was no accountability. Um, everybody else was just living to drink. And I, I hung out with a lot of people who were junkies so I could point the finger at them and not have to look at my addiction. Um, and I, and I, I basically, I mean, that's... I, I don't really have to get in the war stories because I think you get the gist of it right. That's just kind of how it was. And I and I had a lot of rationalizations for why I was doing this. And I actually was like, I could convince myself sometimes that I was having fun and that this was a choice. Um, but at the end of the day, it, w it was not. And um, sober moments were just absolutely painful. And um, the other thing that anything negative or bad that happened to me, like going to jail or getting into a, like an accident, I could never see that it was coming, it was a result from my drinking. I just thought that it was life, like, like uh, look at my shitty life that I've always had, and, and, and this is just what I, you know, God, like, look at my childhood, and now look at this. And, um, 
yeah, and then I'd just be like, all right, just keep on drinking because it's the only thing in life that I have to keep me going. And um, it's amazing that, like, you take that away, right? I've taken the drink away today, and, like, in the past 18 months, like, really nothing shitty has happened to me. <laughs> and I haven't gone to jail, and I haven't been hospitalized, and I'm, re- like, none of that. Like, it's just, it's bizarre. So, um, I, uh, so, yeah, I am. Um, so, the, the kind of important portion of the stuff with with the baby daddy is that um that was a pretty abusive physically abusive relationship and um and I was in that until uh about two two years ago he went to to jail in the prison for domestic violence um and uh I am still not even quite ready to talk about that stuff honestly but um Yet again, 18 months, haven't been in an abusive relationship, so, and, yeah. Um, let's see here. Um, yeah, so I um, end up riding trains. I try to try to come back to Houston and, and get it together for the umpteenth millionth time, and um, I end up finding out that I'm pregnant, and I decided... And me and, and Cody decided, he at this point he was um, a heroin addict, we, we decided that the child was going to save us and our family and our relationship and that we, you know, we could just get it together for the kid. And I, you, you all can imagine how that, that uh, ended up. So um, I ended up single at about six months pregnant and it's kind of like, I mean, I've had, a, I've had different characters in our life, but it's been me and her pretty much um, since then. And like I said, she'll turn seven um, into this month. Um, and so that, like, that, that whole mentality that I to- told you all about, that sort of punk mentality where I was like, I can just, you know, this, this is my solution. This is my release. This is my party. Like, found the people we were just like, we could celebrate our addiction. I mean, we screamed that we were alcoholics. Like, it was a part of the deal. It was a part of the persona, right? Like, once I had my daughter and I couldn't stop, and I wanted to, then I knew it was getting real. Like, once it was no longer cool, because <laughs> it's like, now I'm a single mother and I'm like guzzling bottles of wine by myself with my baby. Or now I'm like getting a babysitter um, and going out to a show and not coming home for two days. Like, that's the, that's what started happening. Um, and it just, the incidents got worse and worse. The blackouts got worse and worse. Um, and what I did up until, so I, for about five years is um, shit would get really bad. I would do something pretty crazy. Um, I would wake up and be like, oh my God, I'm going to lose my child. And so I would dry out for a little bit. And um, I would... The longest time, I was kind of good at getting about six months and, like, rebuilding everything. And this is six months of dry time, like, not asking for any help, not, like, just, just like, focusing on work or focusing on just her or, f- like, working out was a big one. I would use that a lot to, like, get it together. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I would just eventually, when I look around and be like, okay, everything's good, everything's cool. Like that whole thing was just like a joke, you know. It was it it was so far removed by that time because the pain wasn't real that I would just be like, yeah, like time to celebrate with the one thing that I know is always there, and that was booze. So, um, and then like, shoot, um, 
by the time I finally was willing to come back into these rooms, uh, I um, had like multiple cases with CPS. Um, I had had like a couple different mental health warrants called on me. I eventually at one point started getting some even bigger outside issues, um, some uppers, and um, ended up taking off for on my daughter for about a year. And it felt like I had like a limb cut off of me. Um, I couldn't, st and, I, and I left her because of my addiction was so bad and I thought that if I left her and I went up to the mountains where I had safe people and I wasn't gonna be in Houston with my old friends that I'd be able to stop drinking. And I really had that intention. And um, I ended up finding the drugs and finding the booze and um, the pain was even worse because I didn't have, I didn't have my daughter and like no amount of booze or sex or, or drugs or anything could like like make that feeling go away. And, and they, they talk about it a lot in these rooms where it's like when it stops working. So it's like, A, I knew that I couldn't stop drinking and even when I wanted to and then B, like when I did it, like I hated myself even more, even while drunk. Um, so uh, I... Um, I'm kind of having to leave a lot out just because it's it gets it gets pretty convoluted. But um, eventually, I um, from that trip in Oregon when I took off for a year, um, it's actually kind of I, I I bought a 1981 Datsun pickup truck <laughs> with my tax refund, <laughs> and the thing was like taped duct taped together, really like electric. Electrical, I can't talk tonight. Um, it was taped together basically and died constantly. Yet in the middle of the night, I drunkenly decided I was going to go back to Texas and get my daughter back. <laughs> and so I took off in that Datsun and um, started to sober up in California and got really scared because <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and was like, well, shit, I'm, I'm in this now. And uh, made it, the truck made it until I got to El Paso, right outside of El Paso before it finally threw three rods. And I was like not going anywhere else in that thing. Um, and I found some some road angels, some, uh, some uh, like, like, like old bandito dudes and living in this tiny town in New Mexico who were like, you shouldn't be at this truck stop by yourself. Like, come here, let's help. And they helped me get on my way, get back to Texas. Um, not the characters that you would imagine, right? Uh, so I... Um, man, that was a crap. That was a, that was a lot. So I ended up... I, I got back to Texas, and um, I got it together again. I, like dried out again. I got a great job. I started teaching dance. I found this old 80-something-year-old woman who let me live with her, and I would cook for her. And um, and so I was able to visit my daughter on a, on a semi-regular basis. And, like, because it, it was like, it, I'd been gone for a year. And um, still no AA. I was working, actually, at one point I was working in a bar. Um, and, uh, but that, that pain was so fresh. Like I was like, no way, there's no way I'm going to pick up a drink. So I did that for about six months 
And I eventually got asked out on a date, and I went on the date, and he, like, ordered, you know, we went to some fancy place, and I ordered a glass of red wine, because, like, look how far I've come. It's been so great. And within about a month, my mom and I are on our, um, on her driveway fighting each other, and the cops are coming. And I'm like, well, all right. So, um at that point um my daughter and I moved to Austin we had like I had like one more family member who was left um who I could kind of BS and that was my sister (laughs) and I ended up uh moving in with her with my daughter and I dried out again um this time it only lasted about a month, and then um, it was like just there was a beer. One of the roommates had a beer, and it was just like one beer, and and then it was going to work and having like my shift drink, and that one shift drink turned into two shift drinks, and the two shift drinks turned into like a mid shift drink, and the mid turned into like just being blasted all night, needing to wake up and drink to get myself through the day, and that's pretty much how that went. Um, and the scary part is, is I was able to hide it from everybody, like, at this point. Um, I, and, and I, I, like I said, like, I, I, I don't, I'm actually really comfortable in chaos. Like, when things are really chaotic, like, I get into this survivor mode, and I can start pulling things together, and, um, so I went from, like, that whole experience in Houston, um, and uh, to, uh, um, not having anything to like, you know, have, living in a pretty nice place, having a pretty good job, having a car and having full custody of my daughter again. And um, so I was able to kind of like keep the drinking all at my workplace and then behind closed doors with my kiddo. Um, and she wasn't going to say anything because she was five. Um, and uh, there was a couple incidents that happened that really scared the shit out of me. Like I was really scared of my own behavior and um I started drinking even harder because I like honestly didn't know how I could live with myself with that stuff um and uh yeah I um luckily man I had this co-worker who who uh had been sober for for some years and he was just like big old bulldog looking tattooed guy who um, who had like been clean off of heroin for a while, and I uh, I went out to lunch with him one day, and like I wasn't quite ready to admit that I needed AA. Still, I was really really like resistant to coming back into these rooms, um, but there was something about his story that planted a seed, and that seed stayed with me, and and so. I started to, like, in those really depressive, lonely moments, um, I started texting him and being like, all right, I think I'm ready to go to a meeting. And then I wouldn't show up, and I would drink instead. But um, that seed eventually grew into me, like, walking in here. And actually, the first time I walked in here, it's because I, like, met some guy on Tinder, and he was in an NA, and I kept I said I was sober. <laughs> but I kept drinking before I'd go see him. And then he started to catch on. So I was like, I'm going to go get a desire chip and then show him, right? Like, that was the first time I ever came to Golden was for that reason. And then the, 
but I got a sponsor <laughs> and I had her number. And so when I went back and like did some more, just, you know, to, like went back, <laughs> whatever it takes, man. Um, I went back and uh, went back out and had that, that sponsor's number. And when I, um, like they say the bottoms when you stop digging. I mean, I had had bottoms like galore, like I could write a book on bottoms, but it wasn't until it was like, I spiritually had nothing left in me, like nothing, nothing. Like I, drinking didn't work, breathing didn't work. Like the sun was awful, being in my bedroom was awful. The mirror was terrible. Like TV was like, there was nothing, nothing I could do to get myself out of myself anymore. Um, all, all of the addiction, like even dudes didn't work and, and like, man. So I, uh, yeah, I, I came in here. Um, the, the, the day I got sober, um, I had had a friend come to visit me from Baltimore and it, this was some punk dude from, he was like in a punk band in New York. And I only say that just because these aren't usually the characters who are going to hold you accountable <laughs> for your behavior. Um, and I promised myself when he came, I wasn't going to drink like I normally did. And then it was like, I was just able to witness myself for the first time, like hiding $2 bottle of bottles of wine and all these different places. And like, he tried to take me hiking and all I could think the entire time was like, how long am I going to be doing this until I can like get another drink? Um, and like, what excuse can I make for us to get to this, the, the gas station so I can maybe chug a beer on the way home? Cause I cannot make it 45 minutes without drinking. Um, and so, uh, I was dropping him off, uh, at the bus station and this dude looked me right in the eyes and he was like, if anyone saw what was going on in your home, they would like, I like, they would probably take your kid away from you. And he meant that with like deep, just like not even not even uh, judgment, just sort of like fear and like kind of like, what the fuck has happened to you? And, and in that moment, like that fight, that resistance, that like love affair that I've had with alcohol, that like this is the only thing I've got, like it, it like I swear to you, it like physically lifted from my body. Like it, it, it like the fight that I had in here just ceased. And, um, and I was just like, you know what? For the first time I looked at somebody, I was like, you're right. Like, I had no more bullshit stories to tell. No more, like, last night was just a weird night. You caught me in an odd space. Like, there was a lot of those. I made a lot of excuses like that for years. I just finally was like, you know what? You're right. And so I called up that sponsor that I had, and, um, and I just knew she'd hate me because everybody hated me, or so I thought. And she, she like, sent me a... I didn't even call her. I think I texted her, and she texted me back. She was like, I can meet you tomorrow. <laughs> And, um, and so I met her and she gave me my first step assignment. And the first step is we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. And so she had me write 25 ways my life was powerless over alcohol, 25 ways it's made my life unmanageable and 25 things I was grateful for. And so, um, those awful things that had happened in my life that I told you that I couldn't, um, it's <laughs> funny. Uh, those awful things that I was telling you all about that, like, I didn't think I could just face myself. I just wrote it all on there. I was like, fuck it. I've got nothing else to lose at this point. Um, and cause I was too, like I was, 
I had already had a field suicide attempt and it just like, I mean, I wasn't even going to try that again and I didn't want to go to a psych ward. So, um, I just put it all on there and she like, and I put the worst of the worst on there. Cause I remember her telling me like what you put into this program is what you're going to get out of it. She's like, I'm literally here. Like, I'm not here to be bullshitted. I could care less. If you come to me and you like lie to me for an hour, you're just like lying to yourself for an hour. And she told me that, um, all she asked of me was for me to be honest with her. Like, that was it. Like, I could go out, and if I had to go lie to everybody else out there, do it. But just be honest with her. And um, and so I still have, it's been a year and a half now, I still have that same sponsor. I talked to her twice today. <laughs> um, I uh, call her so much sometimes, I'm like, is this normal? <laughs> and uh, I... Um, I'm grateful that, like, we can choose the sponsors. Like, we can choose our sponsors, right? For me, with the amount of abuse I've been through, to have somebody who's going to scream at me and yell at me and, like, kind of whip the big book at me and, like, do it drill sergeant style, that would not have worked for me. It just would not have. Um, I would have started cowering in a corner. I would just, like, put do this and walk away. And I found a sponsor who was gentle and loving and... Um, and just like, hey, that's not working. Like, all right, you did that. You're still sober. Like, why don't you try this out instead? Um, and actually, for the bulk of like my relationship with her for a year and a half now, if I've come at her with some some like I need advice, she's like, pray about it. Go do an inventory. Like, I'm like, dude, can you just tell me what to do? <laughs> she's like, I don't know what to do because I'm not God. Um, so. Uh, I, at this point, like, when I came into the rooms, the whole God thing didn't freak me out whatsoever. I, it just didn't. I was so, like, I just did not care at all. And that didn't really even start bothering me until about, I had about a year sober. And then my, like, rash, everything got kind of good again. And my rational mind started kicking in. And I really began to question the God concept. And I was like, am I just being weak-minded? Like, is that what this is? And it got, that was really scary. Like, I was really uncomfortable in that spot. And, but I kept praying. And I talked about it with my friends, and I talked about it with my sponsor, and um, I kept reading like the, there's like all this stuff in the book. Book there's daily med there's morning meditations in there. I kept doing that even if I didn't have any idea if this this was real or not, and like just like everything that I've experienced in the past like 18 months, like it eventually lifted. You know that that whole like questioning God it lifted and then I just came to this place where like I was like I still don't really know but I don't really care <laughs> because I'm sober and I'm happier when I'm praying to something that's not me and I'm happier when I when I am not trying to control this um uh I um let's see here Met my sponsor once, I still meet her once a week. We meet for an hour. Um, we, uh, I wrote a book for a fourth step. <laughs> it took a long time for me to share my fifth. Um, and I remember because of some of my like outside issue stuff, like being really scared it wasn't gonna work for me. Like, cause I was the only special case who was gonna like, I was gonna do this so right and it was still not gonna work. And um, man, I'm still sober. <laughs> and 10th uh, step, um, 
I still do my nightlies. I just did like, like I've just done what you guys say, like have told me to do. Um, I'm pretty convinced I'm a little crazy. Not only am I an alcoholic, but I'm a little out there. And so like the steps in this program give me, give me guidance and give me stability and have taught me boundaries and have taught me consistency and have taught me like, if I say I'm going to get up and pray on my knees in the morning, I do it. And then I know that I've done something. Everything else might go to shit, you know? Like, it might. But, like, at least I've got these little things that are structured in the program. Um, and uh, I, I, I remember when I got to my 10th step, um, I was, as normal, um, as usual, like, I was, like, afraid that that wasn't going to work either. I was, like, okay, I'm going to do my 10th step, and I'm just going to, like, feel really bad about myself because I'm just writing all the things I've done wrong. And um, and it says in, in the book that, like, it's not all done in red ink. And yet again, I trusted in my sponsor, and I trusted in the program, and so I just kept doing my nightlies, and it, and it ended up becoming something where, like, I feel so free when I do them. Like... I get it out. I get to write positive things that have happened throughout the day. I write a, t a gratitude list every night, like 10 things. Not every night. There are, like, days where I, like, really do, like, I'll fall off for a few days or at most. I think it's been about a week. But um, thus far, we'll see. Ask me next. I mean, <laughs> uh, but um, am I not funny? <laughs> or am I that sleep deprived <laughs> it's like you guys have just been listening to a lunatic ramble for an hour <laughs> um, uh, nightlies so um, dun, dun, dun. I dig them and then in the morning when I wake up I've got my prayers laid out for me right so it's like I get to write all my resentments and all my fears and when I get up in the morning I can just be like boom there you go I haven't done that that much I keep trying to remember to do that um, and every time I do I feel so much better um, so uh, and once I hit my 12th step my sponsor was like you need to get a service commitment and I'm like yeah but I'm a single mom and I work full time like can I just have like a you know get out of jail free card on that one she's like no you can't so uh and mine wasn't super glamorous like I couldn't go get like a you know cool like I don't know I don't go like volunteer at the Red Cross or like go to Haiti or something you know do something like really like that would build up my ego I just chaired a meeting here and I started raising my hand to sponsor women and um and I uh have been doing that and it's been I'll say like it's been um not always easy but it's a hell of a lot easier than when I was drinking and um, I am a full-time mom to my daughter today uh, all that CPS stuff and whatever like not not in our lives anymore um, made amends with that mother who I was on the pavement fighting actually right now my daughter is with her on a vacation not a like oh my god your mom's really messed up and you need to go to your grandma's like she's having like a vacation in Florida um I uh have an awesome job that I love most of the time um I'll like end with this meditation has been super big for me um 
and I people talk a lot about meditation in these rooms and it can be kind of confusing for I, I think it can be confusing if you have no basis for what meditation is you're like um, and and meditation <clears throat> is for me um, sitting and uh, trying to the best of my ability to let my mind be free and to uh, focus on my breath um, and um, for whatever reason with my anxiety disorder the meditation has been like so amazing for that it's been super great um, and um, I feel dry without it I think I, like every like the the beautiful thing too uh, in with this about this program is like starting to get the feel for it a little bit more like making friends in the fellowship and like it's it's simple and but there are certain things that work for different people like some people I know they go to a meeting every they're able to go to a meeting one to three times a day and like that's they feel full that way I don't always have that opportunity just with my kiddo and and sometimes it's harder because she comes with me and then it's the whole thing but like meditation and my inventories have been like something that I can use to sort of fill that gap when it's not easy for me to get to a meeting um and so it's like there's there's um structure to it but it's also like we can like make this enjoyable you know I can like do things that like it started off as something I have to do and now it really is something that I want to do um I'm like out of time uh yeah hmm.